Today's scripture comes from the book of Genesis 1, verse 26 through 31, and the book of 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23, and 15, 47 through 49. Then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits then at his coming those who belong to christ the first man was from the earth a man of dust the second man is from heaven as was the man of dust so also are those who are of the dust and as is the man of heaven so also are those who are of heaven just as we have just as we have borne the image of the man of dust we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven this is the word of the Lord. We just um, had a great Thanksgiving Sunday. And for those of you who are away and didn't get to hear that message, you could uh, go to our YouTube channel or to um, our podcast and hope you enjoy that message. Two weeks ago, we did part seven of our series on creation, and that was, uh, that, was a, that was an easy message to give. We were talking about science and how in our culture, science is used and turned into something like a religion, a myth. And there I gave a lot of critiques about how there is a religious myth based on neo-Darwinian evolution and why I, you know, I gave a lot of like even science reasons why I think that that is wrong and it must be falsified. It is falsified and you should not believe in it. Um, but today I'm going to give kind of like a companion message, which is the theology of why you should believe that Adam and Eve really are our true parents. It is the question of what what the scholars call the historical Adam. Was there actually a person out there called Adam? Because in the, in the scientism, that's the name of a religious ideology in the name of science. See, in the name of science, we we'll come up with a religious ideology. In the religious ideology, people don't even think there is an Adam. Because you see, there was just evolution. And, and then it just kind of happened. And um, so was there actually an actual first human being, a first human couple, this issue called the historical Adam? And there are many Christians today, I don't know if you understand this, if you grew up in a Bible-believing church, a Bible-believing church, people who, believe, who say that the Bible is inerrant, infallible, increasingly in the churches that call themselves Bible-believing and even evangelical, increasingly... Even in the seminaries, they're denying this teaching that there actually was a historical Adam and Eve. And what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the theology of it, right? What does the Bible teach? And why it's tremendously important that you understand that Genesis chapter 1 
is, ref is referring to a history. These words that was up, that God made human beings in his image, male and female, he created them. And there was an actual first couple there. And of course, you all know their names, Adam and Eve. We didn't even get into chapter 2, just, you know, just for the sake of time, since we're really talking about this particular issue today, okay? So today you're going to hear the theology of it from the Bible, and hope this will help you. And really, kind of, um, I don't know how, how should I say, kind of a vaccinate your mind, <laughs> right? To use a, 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 an analogy from today, there's a kind of like a virus that's going into people's minds today and trying to poison them against genuine, true, orthodox, biblical Christianity. And it's working quite powerfully. Our young people today increasingly um, just dismiss the Bible as if it's nonsense. You get through first, chapter 1, they already think this is dumb. You know, can't believe any of this stuff. And then begin to dismiss church and the importance of church. This is going on with our young people, right? And it's not very hard. All you got to do is just talk to some... Talk to anybody below the age of 30. Heck, they don't even have to be 30. And so this is why we're having this message today, okay? So let's get into it. Part one. Genuine Christianity and history versus myth, okay? Genuine Christianity and history versus myth. Part two. The New Testament on the historical Adam and Eve. So I'm just going to just hit, quickly hit. The New Testament, what does it say on the historical Adam and Eve? And then I'd like to give you, close this message by presenting the gospel through heavenly humanity in fallen history. Right? So that's the drama we're talking about here. What's the kind of humanity that we want to live in? Heavenly humanity in fallen history. Let's go to part one. Genuine Christianity and history versus myth. Let's just start this way. All religious worldviews basically have like two common components. Any religious worldview, they just have like these two. It's very, very common. I, I, do I want to say every single one? Probably every single one, but it's at least 99%. Okay, so they all have these two components, and they are myth and morality. All right, myth and morality. Every religion has some kind of story. Whether it's true or not is not important, okay? The, the truth that it actually happened or not, that's not important. It's just kind of a fable. It gives you some kind of a meaning. And I don't want to, like, you know, uh, put down all myth just because it isn't historically true. Because some myths, you may call them fables, some myths actually have some kind of profound instances of truth. And... Um, so th there's a lot of uh, confusion about this today. So, you know, it doesn't really matter which, you know, I could pick, you could just pick, almost pick a religion. You know, Hinduism has their myths of various gods and how the world came about. They have different myths of different gods, and you should attach yourself to this god or that god. And depending on where you are in India, you know, they may have attachment to one god versus another, and it's built upon a mythology, okay? Uh, there are mythologies in history that you know of which, you know, nobody really believes in anymore, but we still love those stories, the Greek mythologies, you know, the Norse mythologies, and there's movies of, like, Thor. Thor is a god of Norse mythology, right? And, um, and then there are kind of, like, mythic historical epics, which everybody knows are, are mythic, and they're very popular today. And nobody's trying to build a religion on them, but that's how powerful they are. So if you're talking about Narnia... Narnia is a kind of mythic storytelling. In this case, it's trying to point back to something inside of Christianity. And then, of course, those, a lot of you know, about, um, you know about the Lord of the Rings. And again, you know, Tolkien, he's a person who understands the power of these stories. And so he's you know, forming a whole epic mythology, and, uh, and we love them, all right? And they're really amazing. But... but Here's the key thing. They're not historically true. That's, if you want to give me a, a, what is the fundamental difference between a big story, which isn't true, and history? That's the, way, that's the distinction I want to talk to you about today. History versus myth. And then out of the, the mythological story is usually some kind of morality. 
There's a, a series of right and wrongs. Be like this, don't be like this. If you're like this, you're bad. If you're like this, you're good. You'll be heroic if you turn out like this, or you will be a bad person, and you will maybe be under some kind of a curse or something like this if you go this bad way. So myth and morality are the fun constituent parts of all, you know, like, of like all man-made human religion. Now let me just, um, this is not easy to say, but we are talking about secular religion. <laughs> and today, just because it isn't talking about a God that is above all of, uh, of the known um, reality, naturalism is its own kind of mythology. And one of the things I've been trying, I, I gave you that message two weeks ago to try to prove to you using science, and I told you back then that science always has evidence which falsifies its claim, that it can falsify a claim. There's a, A can get to B, you have a causal line, you have a hypothesis, and then we look at the data, does the data verify that claim or falsifies that claim? That's what I gave you two weeks ago, and you know what that is? That's real science. So whenever there's real science, that's great. I don't have, we have no Christian should have any problem with real science. But we have a story in our, in our culture where we came from, who we are, how human beings came to be. And you know what? None of that story can be verified. And guess what? This is really interesting. Oftentimes, neo-Darwinian evolution operates in such a way that they don't think it could be falsified. It's always told as if it's just completely true, even though when you get to the science, it can be falsified. It is falsified. What's going on there? What are we talking about there? It's a religious mythology. And then inside of that, there's a kind of morality. <laughs> and you know, the kids today, they pick up the morality quite well. Here's some of the other, here are some of the moral pieces that come out of that religious mythology, which is you don't need God. We have everything that we need. We have all the knowledge that we need to be human and to make the world exactly what we think it ought to be. That's one of the pieces. So you don't think about this too much, but you're like, is not just science? But how come people who believe in that also have this kind of morality? You notice that? We don't need God. And church is superstition. <laughs> and people who do church, well, sorry, they're just primitive. And we don't want to say this out loud, but really, they're just backwards. And often, now it's, that was mostly what it was like when I was a young man. It was mostly they're primitive and superstitious. And today, it's actually getting worse. It's just they are hateful and they are bigoted. Right? Therefore, it used to be you could just be kind of, you just kind of um, look at people who go to church and you see them as kind of sad. <laughs> like, they're kind of like they must have committed intellectual suicide somewhere along the way. Isn't that kind of sad? And they like to feel good, and so they will tell you their myths, even though we're not talking about myths. Right? But now there's actually more of a morality, which is if you believe in that stuff, then we will cancel you. And you must be a bigot. And you can't work in our company because you're a bad kind of person. Right? And so this is where we're at. And I don't know if you noticed, but um, especially the young people, they believe this mythology. And they are starting to practice this morality. And in our church, we're fighting it. We're fighting it with something better, which we think is better. We're not just trying to fight it because like, we're angry religious people and we're against you. No, no, that's not our spirit. We want to offer something better, okay? Now, let me say something next. Genuine Christianity does not operate in myth and morality. Okay? That's, isn't that, that's news. That may be news to a lot of people. Isn't Christianity about morality? A lot of people think Christianity is primarily about the do's and the don'ts. Go to church. Don't do these bad behaviors. Be cleaned up. Pray a lot. These are the moral good things you ought to do. So people think it's... It's all about morality. It is not. <laughs> Genuine Christianity is not fundamentally about morality. 
And let me absolutely tell you, it is not built on myth. Genuine Christianity is built on a good news in history. It is built on a good news in history, and then it calls forth a response. Let me say that again. Religions of the world made by man, myth plus morality. Genuine Christianity is about a piece of news. It's happened in history, and now it's asking people who hears this news, the pro proclamation of the news, is we're asking you to respond to that news. That's what genuine Christianity is about. Now, you know this, I'm using, I use this term on purpose, good news. You, you come to church, and so you're, you're, it's the gospel. We're all about the gospel. If you didn't, didn't grow up in church, gospel sounds like a religious word, but it's not. It just means there's a great piece of news. <laughs> That's what it means. In, ancient, in the ancient world, you know, um, maybe an evil, you know, like empire we're gonna, is going to come. They're going to murder us. They're going to, you know, uh, kidnap our women and children, enslave them, rape, murder, pillage, okay? And then our soldiers went out there with our leaders, and then there was a fight. There was a tremendous battle, and then news could come back. Well, you know what news they would want to come back? They would want gospel to come back. <laughs> They'd want the gospel to come back. You know what gospel means? We get the good news to come back. <laughs> Our enemies were defeated, and we are not going to be oppressed and enslaved and murdered and raped and pillaged. Instead, we will be free, and we get to live our lives, right? That would be considered gospel news. And so when Christianity came along, here they said, what has happened? Something has happened in history. Something tremendous has happened in history, not mythology. This is incredibly important. Not mythology. So I want to make this one more point. And what has happened changes everything. What has happened changes you. It changes the world. It changes the possibilities for the world. It's so good. It's so tremendous. The main issue is whether you believe that news, okay? The main issue isn't whether you're going to do all the moral things that Christianity also teaches to how to live inside of that news. See, the morality in Christianity is not fundamentally clean yourself up and then you'll be a good person. That is not what Christianity is about. Christianity, the news is you were a pretty bad person and you were failing. But the news is a real God became really human just like the real human, Adam, this is why this is important, to renovate the human condition, to make you a new kind of human forever and ever. This is the news. And the real question is not the morality, it's whether you'll believe the news. See, that's why Christianity is built on faith. Christianity is all about faith. Faith in the news in the gospel of what was real in history. Now, let me just make this one more point, but let's go to point two. Christianity is absolutely making historical claim. All the other religions don't quite operate like this. This is why there are tremendous fights about was Jesus a real person? Did uh, the crucifixion actually happen? Did the resurrection actually happen? These are tremendous fights about the historical true claims inside the Bible. And let me just say this to you. There's no worldview that has been more attacked on its historical claims than Christianity. And when I was young, I used to think like, wow, everybody's completely always trying to undermine the historical claims of the Bible. And it's like every arrow is after us and our positions of the Bible. And you know what? I used to really be bothered by that. But you know what God has done with that? He said, let the arrows come. <laughs> let the secular people prove <laughs> the evidence that the historical claims are true. The secular people. Now you don't even have to need the Christian people, the secular people. And over time, you know what has happened? All the people who hate Christianity has done a great, that's a great service again and again and again. The historical veracity of the record of the Bible keeps getting verified and strengthened again and again and again. 
Christianity falls on what has really happened because the gospel, it's something, it's a piece of news that's happened. If you could falsify that and say that never really happened, you know what? Then everything goes away. Everything becomes junk. Paul even straight up says it. If Jesus Christ is not actually raised from the dead, then we're the most pathetic losers there are. That's what he actually straight up says that. Or I'm, I'm paraphrasing a bit, okay? But he basically straight up says that in the Bible. The stance I'm giving you is not like some like intellectual stance I made up. It's from the Bible. Christianity is absolutely historical. Because God isn't just doing like, let's have a story over here and we'll just believe in our story. Everybody wants to do this. We'll come up with the story we like. You have your story that you like. Isn't it nice that you have your story, we have our story? This is one of the things that's really offensive about Christianity. Christianity goes, no, we live inside of history, what God has really done. The story is a true story. And if you will not accept the real news, you're lost. That's the offense. However, the incredible thing is it's not ever based on myth. It's based on reality in history. Following me? All right. Let's go to part two. So here's the attack today. Was Adam ever a real person? Seriously, Adam, of course we're talking about Adam and Eve, but everyone's always going after the historical Adam, all right? Adam a real, is that a real Adam? And I want to let you know, from the Bible's point of view, that absolutely must be a real Adam. A historical Adam leads to a historical Jesus. A historical first person leads to a historical man who will be the first of a new kind of human of a way of being human. That's at the core of the Bible, at the core of the presentation of the gospel. So let me just go over just, just quickly a few. So one, first one, in Luke chapter 3, Luke is actually the lengthiest. It is probably that Luke was a physician. He was among the first you know, to walk with those who knew Jesus. He did the most thorough studies of the claims of Jesus, and he pulled all his material together. And if you go to Luke chapter 3, there's a very, very important genealogy, and it tells you who, who is the father of who, and, and it doesn't, it's not trying to hit every single person who is every single person, but it's giving you the line. And when you get to Luke chapter 3, the line goes all the way back to Adam. It goes back to Adam. It actually says, Ad, the son of this guy was the son of the father of Adam. The father of Seth is Adam, and the father of Adam is God. That's the way it says. So the Bible itself, here in Luke chapter 3, treats Adam very much as a historical figure, not as a mythological figure, okay? And you know, it's not only in the New Testament, it's also in, in 1 Chronicles chapter 1. You can go find it there too. So I'm just giving you this, all right? Let me give you another place. There's a place in Mark chapter 10, and it's also repeated in Matthew chapter 19, and this is from the mouth of Jesus. Jesus himself believes in a historical Adam. It's tremendously important. So if you want to think that, you know, we don't need to believe in a historical Adam, that we're going to believe in, you know, usually the people who uh, believe this, believe in, even if they are Christian, they'll say something like, well, I don't know if there was a real Adam, but they usually embrace a position inside of Christianity. It's typically called theistic evolution. Right? And it's starting to become more popular in the seminaries. When I was going to seminary, it wasn't. But it is becoming so now. Right? But it's pretty difficult when Jesus himself, you're trying to say Jesus? <laughs> Jesus didn't know what was up? I guess Jesus just believed in myths, didn't he? So if, you, if people want to take that theological position, you have a really d difficult problem. You want to say, Jesus, sorry, Jesus, you're pretty in error about that part. So this is a quote, okay? Mark chapter 10, verse 6, and we're quoting Jesus. This is Jesus speaking here, okay? Here's how he puts it. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. You know what he's quoting? Genesis chapter 1. He just read Genesis chapter 1. He treats Genesis chapter 1 pretty much like a historical reality. 
So Jesus clearly thinks there's a first male and female, and uh, Genesis chapter 1 is a piece of history, right? And you also find it in Matthew chapter 19. Let's go, same passage. He, go, he continues, and Jesus cites the classic words of the definition of, from the Bible of marriage. It comes from creation. You know, it says, <laughs> it says, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Right? You know where that's from? Genesis chapter 2. <laughs> you know what Jesus is doing? He's saying, well, this is what God did in Genesis chapter 1. This is how he did it with the first man and woman. Therefore, he married them. This is why we have marriage. So in one breath, he immediately just says, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, historically real. It is the basis of male, female. It is the basis of made in the image of God. It is the basis of historical Adam and Eve. And in history, God gave marriage. Okay? Now, some of you already been thinking like, whoa, we have other things going on in our culture. It, it, we're going to pick up the series. We're going to take a break after this week. We're going to celebrate Christmas, Advent. And then we're going we're to go over our vision and values in the month of January. And then we'll pick up the creation series. And then we'll get to the myth of more than two sexes. That's a religious mythology. And there absolutely is a morality that's attached to that. And you could lose your job if you don't obey your morality of that. Right? We all know that that's going on today. And if you want to just say, well, I believe in Jesus, but, you know, I think we're going to be okay with this, uh, you know, gender non-binary stuff. Let me tell you, you are disagreeing with Jesus. With Jesus. Okay? And now he thinks about male, female, Adam and Eve, historical first couple, okay? Let's go to one more, and then I want to get to part three of my message. And I'm just going to read this for you. One of most powerful, uh, um, the most powerful author who makes this case is Paul. Some people always want to pit Paul versus Jesus. There's a common thing throughout history, the people who hate you know, orthodox biblical Christianity and dislike the gospel, try to pit, say, Paul was the corrupter of the real, genuine Christianity of Jesus, right? And I've read books like this. It's like, it's, they're so tiresome. And after the guys who write these books, and then they die, and then there'll be another generation of guys who write another version of those books. It's crazy, okay? It's like, it's almost as if the devil just said, let's have another set of these guys. And that's exactly what just keeps happening again and again. This is a really important place. So I, I want to show you this. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And this is how Paul puts it, okay? It goes like this. Just as sin came into the world through one man, through a man, right? And death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Well, I'm not going to explicate all this, but I just want you to catch how Paul thinks about how sin came into the world. There's a man. <laughs> he clearly thinks he's a historical figure. Let's go to verse 14. Yet death reigned from Adam, he names him, to Moses, even over those whose sin was not like the transgression of Adam. Adam, who was a type of the one to come. So I just emphasize that to you. There's an Adam. And from him, sin and death came into the world. He's a real person. But there's one who's going to be like Adam. He's a Adam is a type of a better Adam to come. That's the way he puts it. Okay? Verse 15. The free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass. See, we all died through Adam's trespass, and we've fallen right into his trespass. Much more have the grace of God 
and the free gift by the grace of that one man. Jesus Christ abounded for many. This is the way Paul makes the argument. This is the only place he does it. And if you want to erase Paul, you're going to erase 13 out of 27 books of the New Testament. It's a very serious problem, okay? And if you're going to erase Paul, you might as well just throw away Christianity. So don't think, there's always people who always want to adjust, adjust Christianity to make it like friendly to the world. And because at one place or another, something in the world is going to be offensive. Something in the Bible is going to be offensive to the world. And then people are going to want to, quote, unquote, adjust it. Right? But here we go. Paul clearly treats Adam like a historical figure. And it's very, very important how you think of him because that's will condition how you understand Christ. Okay? All right, let's go to part three. Okay. Um, now I feel like I'm finally going to get to preach. <laughs> okay? Let's talk about the good part. I'm going to give you one more place where Paul talks about this, and I'm going to unpack this for you. And we're going to do what genuine Christianity does, proclaims good news, and calls on you to respond. Okay? That's what we're about to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it's, for those of you who don't know, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is lengthy. It's tremendously important. The whole thing is about the resurrection of Christ. And you know what it's about? Did it really happen? <laughs> Even inside of the Corinthian church, there were some who were like, they had question marks about it. And they had question marks, well, like Jesus raised from the dead, will we rise, you know, at the culmination of history and rise from the dead and we will be resurrected? Some didn't believe that. So that's really interesting. So they always had all these problems. And so, just for the sake of time, I can't, you know, it's such, it's a, it's a complex and tremendous argument, but I just want to hone in on this relevant portions for today's topic, and let's get into it. Verse 20, in fact, so let me say this, not in history, not in mythology, in fact, it actually happened in history, that's, that's another way to put it, but it actually happened in history, that's what he's saying. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I'll get to that in just a moment. Verse 21. So here it is. For as a man, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. I want you to feel this parallelism here. He absolutely is saying the resurrection of Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, real historical person. It'd be a real problem if the front part of it, there's a man, and then sin and death came into the world through him, and then there's a man, and what he did, got us eternal life. If this is historical, how can, this is mythological? See the problem there? If he could hear some of this theistic evolution stuff, if Paul was here today and he was here, he's like, no, no historical, uh, Paul would probably get up and probably go berserk. <laughs> he would, like, you know, he'd put on his, like, intellectual fighting gloves and go to war. He would say, you think this is mythology? Then you might as well throw everything away. That's probably what he'd say. Hmm. In Adam... All die. So also in Christ, both historical men shall all be made alive. Verse 23. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Let me jump to the toward the end of the chapter. It's so well said. It's so clear toward the end of this chapter. It goes like this. The first man was from the earth a man of dust, right? <clears throat> the second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. You know what he's talking about? Us. We're like Adam. 
We're of the dust. And we are, have the humanity of Adam. And we're like him. But then he goes on to say, and as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And here's what I want to say to you today. If you believe in the gospel, that's you. <laughs> you were once of the dust, but now there's a new kind of humanity, and it's not myth. <laughs> it's history. And you know what, God? That history that God did 2,000 years ago, he's still doing it. <laughs> the kind of humanity, the man of heaven, the first man of heaven was Jesus. And now he's interested in making men and women of heaven. Verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Um, here's the way I want to close this message. God is not in the business of myth-making. He makes real things in history. He's not in the business of coming up with a set of rules so he can judge you and shame you according to morality. He is actually in the business of redeeming you from the fact that we fail the rules. And so he gave us a new kind of man that would do exactly that. So, here's how we live. Every normal human being lives in the humanity of Adam. It's of the dust. But what God is doing in history now is he's calling forth people to respond to the news that he's making a new kind of heavenly humanity. And if you would receive what he has done, you can be made new. So here's how it's put in verse 22 and 23. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. If you are in Christ, you shall be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Here's what it means. In the first fruits is an agricultural analogy. So you plant a bunch of seeds, then you get the fruit, and then the first ones that come up, you, you bring them in. That's the first fruit. You know what the Bible is saying? God is making a new kind of humanity. The first one in Adam was of the dust and filled with self-righteousness and wickedness and grasping after power and pride. Instead, he says, let's have a new kind of humanity. Someone will come from heaven, and then he will die the death we deserve to die on the cross. He will obey God where Adam failed to obey, and then he will rise and be of the stuff of heaven in the resurrection. That's a new kind of humanity. It's a new Adam. <laughs> That's Jesus Christ. He, what happened on Easter Sunday, was the first fruit. See that? You hear that? And God began that process. He said, well, let this Adam be born, and we're going to put him into the worst baby crib of all time among the hay and of the goat crap <laughs> and of the cow urine, that is where the new Adam will start the work to make us like heaven. See? And that's what we're in today. We're going to Christmas. But that's the first fruit. The first fruit is the first fruit, and now more fruit's going to come, more and more fruit. And you know this first fruit work of God? That's in history. No way is it mythology. That's history. It really happened. There really is a man who obeyed God when nobody else would obey God, who was truly holy and lived the life we should have lived, but he died as if we deserve to die, and now he has a life that'll never die. <laughs> 
a life of heaven. It has happened in history. Christians, you do not believe in mythology. <laughs> Dare let anybody ever think that you believe in mythology. We believe in history. <laughs> it really happened. And you know what's incredible? History is still happening. <laughs> it's the first fruits, which means there's going to be more fruits. So when the gospel is proclaimed, you are now being asked, do you want to be in the old Adam? Or do you want to be in the new Adam? The new Adam has happened. And the new Adam is still happening. That's proclamation. That's genuine Christianity. Okay? Now I want to just close this way. I want to close with a meditation on that last verse. Verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I thought and thought and thought about that verse. We're an image-oriented culture. We see movies. We look at pictures. As a kid, my favorite athlete was a guy named Tony Dorsett. You guys don't know who he is, okay? And uh, he was the running back for the Dallas Cowboys. And when I watched his image, when I went out in the field to play football with my friends, I want to be just like him. <laughs> and he was a little faster than me. He was a little cooler than me. He was black. I wasn't. <laughs> so the images didn't quite line up. But we love image. And all of us, we have an image. We want to bear that image. And you know what? Every single one of you, it's an atom. There's an image of something in the world of how to be human. I wanted to be Tony Dorsett, and Tony is cool. And if I could be like Tony, the best it would ever be is still an atom of the dust. See? So here's the way I want to close this message. There's two ways that we tend to be an atom. Let's call it the I'm so good way. And then there's a not so good way, the I'm so bad way. Here's the I'm so good way of being human in Adam. I'm going to be like Tony. I'm fast. I work out. Now, today, of course, people don't want to be like Tony. They want to be like Steph. <laughs> and before, a younger those numbers, they said, be like Mike. There actually is a basketball player like Mike. His name is LeBron. <laughs> Let's say you can be like Tony or Mike or Steph or LeBron. Maybe it's not what you want. Maybe you want to be like Steve Jobs or somebody smart. Or maybe you want to be beautiful. Maybe you want to be successful. You want to be rich. And let's say you get it. You know what happens? You'll still be Adam. There'll be something good inside of you, but there'll be something of the dust and dark inside of you. You will look down on those who are not like you. You will have no mercy on those who are not like you. You think you will be merciful and humble to them, but would you have dinner with the prostitute? Would you touch lepers? Would you be rejected for the least of these? See? That's how it is in Adam. And that's what's good. We fill with pride. We have our wisdom. We have our righteousness. We have our badge. People will honor us. They glorify us. And it's just Adam. That's all it is. But I want to speak to the other side of it today. I want to close this message by the I'm so bad. I'm so good. I hope you get good, good things in your life. I really do. But I hope the, the good thing in your life will be better than Adam. It'll be like the new Adam. That's what I want to ask of you today. If the only good thing you want in your life is to be LeBron or Curry or Tony Dorsett or you name the glorious image that you want to be and you're getting it and now you feel like you're so great, maybe I want to put this into your mind, maybe you're not that great. 
and you need a better Adam. But I want to speak to those of you who have a different image inside of you. And this is on repeat. It's like it's, like it's stuck inside your brain, inside your heart. It's the I'm so bad way of being Adam. You always see yourself as lacking. You're depressed. You're anxious. I mean, so many young people today who are so anxious. You could just you could see it with the way they talk to you, the way they carry themselves. If you're listening to this message and you're anxious, you're in the bad Adam. <laughs> okay. You're fearful. You're resentful of other people. You regularly resent other people. Someone does something to you, you're bitter. And you will not forgive them. And you resent people because you're afraid of them. Sometimes it's not even rational. They're kind because they're smarter than you. You resent them. And thus, you just don't like them. Because the image inside of you, of who you are, is the bad Adam. And here's where it gets really hard. Maybe you don't even like yourself. That's why you're depressed. When you were younger, you thought you'd get over this. But five years later and 10 years later and maybe longer, you haven't. You've tried everything. So here's what I want to say. You think you will always be this way. You think you will always be anxious. You're always going to be depressed. You're always going to need that drug to make you feel better. The legal one's called Prozac. Okay, the legal ones we call alcohol. <laughs> the legal ones we call Heineken, you know, like Hein. Well, okay, like Häagen-Dazs. That's the one I use. That's the drug I like, Häagen-Dazs. Okay. But you're like, I'm always going to be anxious. I'm always going to be depressed. I think I'm always going to be angry and pessimistic. Here's what I want to say to you today. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're just living in the darkness of the image on repeat of the old Adam. And you don't have to. Because God has a new image of a new kind of humanity. And it's in history, not mythology. You need a new version of you. That's what you need. You need a version of you that will not die. You need a version of you that's free of anxiety, bitterness, depression, anger. You know, this is just another way. Let me just say it now in the religious way. You need an everlasting new humanity version of you, which is free of sin. And it's yours if you receive the good news. This is the business of God in history. He wants to do this in you and for you. He wants to make you into his image, filled with glory and goodness, with no badness. When Jesus died, the badness died. <laughs> when you die with him, when you receive the gospel, all that badness can die with him. And when you live in the new humanity in Christ, if you give your life and trust in Christ of this good news, you'll become a new version of you. Today, would you receive him and his glorious image to replace this dark and broken, terrible image that you're stuck in? Would you allow the new Adam to replace the old Adam? Put your name in there. Would you allow the new Susan from the new Adam to replace this junky, terrible, old Susan? Put your name in there. Today's history. And I know that in the history of your life, 
you like every day I've lived, it's always been like this. I've always been like this. It won't change. It can't change. And today I argue against you. It can change. We do not believe in myth. Christianity, real Christianity is not about myth. It's not a trick. It's not some shrinkage, some, some shrink who's going to like put some little tools on you. It is the power of God to make you new. A new kind of humanity from the first fruits, Jesus. The God-man in history who would renovate all the brokenness that goes all the way back to the historical Adam and he will do it in you. Would you let him do that for you? Brothers and sisters, or if you've never accepted Jesus today, would you let him do that in you? Let's pray. God, our creator, God, our redeemer, and recreator, you took the greatest emotion there could possibly ever be in all of history, and you became one of us so that we can become like you. We lived in Adam, and we're killing ourselves with our dust. You came to give us new life with your glory. We're always wanting to be our own creator and master and savior and Lord. Today, if there's anybody listening to this message, would they say, no more of the myth of modern, secular, I am my own person, I can do whatever I want, and I don't need God or his word or the gospel. Today, Lord Jesus, would you have mercy and assure the person who wants to put those words away, who wants to put that myth away. And today would be an absolutely glorious day in history where you will make us into the first fruits, from the first fruits today, the first fruits in our hearts of an everlasting heavenly humanity. We pray today you would do that. There are those who are listening to this message who are filled with anxiety and pessimism and unforgiveness, money, love, and pride, and self-hatred. Would you speak hope into their heart today? Today is the week of hope. Today we lit the handle of hope from the new Adam. And today would you light a candle in their heart as they receive and believe in the gospel. Praise in Jesus' name.